the Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversation with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a complement to the Numinous School, my online intuition development course. And it's produced with the support and encouragement of my patrons, listeners who enjoy the show and let me know with a financial high five. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, I'll let you know how at the end of the episode. This week, I'm speaking with Sheila Webster. She's a reflexologist and a life mentor, and she has a really calming, grounding, healing presence, which is what I think makes her story even more touching. I connected with Sheila over the phone. She was at home in Victoria, BC. So Sheila, how old were you when your mother died? I was 11. You were 11 years old. And did you realize that she was dying? Mm, I don't think I was. I, I Like she was sick and I observed her being physically sick. Um, but... Uh, well, we did have a meeting, a family meeting with the oncologists um, at one point, but I can't remember in that meeting if we were told of the prognosis specifically, um, but there was definitely a, a tone of seriousness in that meeting, I remember, as a child. Mm. Were people mainly talking about sickness? Did anybody ever talk to you about dying or death? Not at all. Mm. Not at all. What do you remember of your your family's emotional state when you look back at that time? Um, I would say confusion and probably repression of what was happening. Um, a, a disbelief. And um, it's probably just great sadness through the whole process. Was your mom sick for very long? She was. Um, I had to check with my sister about that recently, and I thought it was about two years, but it was probably in around a year, maybe a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me about the day that she died? Yeah, um, the day that she died, I was actually uh, at out of town at my cousin's place um, with two of my cousins, Lori and Sherry. And um, their mother was my mom's sister. And uh, her, so the, my aunt and uncle were in the city um, to go bowling. And my mom had passed away that late afternoon. So they came home to give me the news that my mom had passed. And uh, so I wasn't home with my family when I got the news of her dying. And what happened immediately after? What do you remember of that time? You know, maybe was there a funeral? Who, who, who were you with? Who were you talking to? What, what were you doing in the days and weeks that followed? Yeah, um, boy, my heart is just racing, bringing this all back. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when my aunt told me the news, I remember, um, like, bursting out crying and running up the stairs and uh, crying, feeling like, because that's what I should have done or had to have done because you hear your mom's dead and that's what you do. Um, and then I went blank. I actually had a memory lapse of from that point on to her prayers and as brought up Catholic. So in the Catholic religion, you have prayers a few days before the funeral. 
And then so my next memory from uh, being at my aunt's and crying is being at the funeral in the family room with my immediate family. And um, my brother is known to wear gray wool socks no matter the season and whatever else he's wearing. And I remember us laughing at the fact he's wearing these gray socks. And recently it was bothering me that I didn't have a memory in between those two um, occurrences. And then a memory came back to me. And I kind of, um, I remember going back home. I think my aunt and uncle drove me back to the city and coming in and seeing one of my sisters in the kitchen. And it was a real, um, kind of like a slow motion episode in my, today's mind anyway. Um, I, my dad and my brother were out and two of my sisters were home. And it was just this kind of casual, where's dad? Oh, he's, him and Bruce are gone shopping for a casket. Where's Cindy? Oh, she's in the bedroom. And then that was it. It was just this kind of emptiness and like life carried on. Mm. And so I didn't talk to anybody. Nobody talked to me about um, about what happened. But not that I recall anyway. If they did, it was probably too painful and I've repressed it. But I don't think that was the case. Mm. This was back in 1978. And back then, there weren't a lot of support systems in place or knowing within families, I think, how to um, deal with death or even talk to children about death. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you then growing up as a teenager without your mother? Like, I'm just trying to imagine, you know, so uh, we're both mothers of daughters mm-hmm. of about that same age that you were when mm-hmm. your mother died. And it's, I mean, it's so painful. How did you go through that? Yeah, um, well, I think growing up is hard enough, let alone without your mother. And as I see my daughter at that age now, I'm, it's really trying because I just think like nobody tended to my emotions of grief at that young age and shame on them, (laughs) on the adults in my life, my dad specifically for not tending to that. Um, So, you know, it's, how did I, how was I as a teenager? I'm, you know, I I was lost. I, I mean, you know, I uh, I had some close friends and we'd go drinking and stuff. I was pretty young when I started drinking. Nothing addiction-like, but just consuming. And um, so kind of alone, I would say. And my dad was dealing with his own grief. So, you know, he did what he did, you know, going out and about for his solace, I guess, or his um, mourning. And all of my siblings were older. So... For a few years there, I felt very much on my own, I suppose, but didn't realize it at the time. You just did what you did, right? Um, yeah, and I guess that feeling just perpetuated through to my into my 20s. Just that uh, feeling lost and seeking some sort of guidance outside of myself. Mm-hmm. When did you realize that you needed to attend to your grief and needed to address your mother's death and sort of the aftermath that you carried into your yeah. 20s. I've had a few episodes of that through my lifetime. Um, the first time would have been in my early 20s when I worked for a corporation that had counselors on site. And I kind of remember going through this phase of always thinking of my mom and talking about my mom. And um, I just went to see uh, one of the counselors to talk about that. And I remember him saying, are you angry at your mom for dying? And um, 
I hadn't nailed that emotion. Um, but yeah, I was really angry that she left or had to die. Um, so that was probably the first time where I faced it head on. Um, and then a couple of years after that, I remember thinking, uh, kind of switching it around and thinking of my mom, like being in her situation and leaving five kids with a husband who necessarily wasn't a hands-on type of father. Mm. Um, and just again, had another, you know, emotional outburst of what that must have been like for her to know that she was dying and leaving five of her children behind at varying ages. Um, and then I guess when I had my daughter, um, I don't know if it was so much going through facing the grief of mother loss, but just feeling really lost as a mother. Like, how do I do this? And um, not really having anyone to replace that um, that maternal role where you would typically go for guidance on mothering. Um, and then it happened a couple months ago on retreat. I was on a soul retreat, your retreat. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I just, through a uh, journey of uh, the heart chakra, uh, realized that um, all these years I've been persevering outside of myself, something greater than myself or something to fulfill myself outside of me. And what I realized in that journey was that when my mom died, my heart broke. And uh, essentially I lost my best friend and sadly, you know, didn't realize that at the time. And so all my adult life, I uh, was trying to fulfill that uh, gap. And um, yeah, on your retreat, just realized that my heart had been in pieces all these years. And I tried to fulfill that through, you know, intimate relationships or various types of jobs. Lots of change in my life, always trying to stimulate that um vacant emotion or that that hole left with her gone I guess um yeah so it was in that moment I realized that I got my heart back and kind of labeled it so how do you live with the grief and also the love you feel with your mom now oh, how do I live with it well I don't know, grief has become a very interesting part of living for me as of lately. And um, so I don't necessarily attach my feelings of grief to mother loss. Mm. However, um, having recently gone through a marital separation and feeling the grief of that separation, um, it evoked those emotions that I think first became of me when my mom died. And so it brought me back to that that sense of loss. And so now it's almost like it's just a, <laughs> I'll call it a transferable skill. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so my daughter and I found a dead squirrel in our driveway a couple of weeks ago and we buried it. And I found myself looking at this hollow shell of a living thing and I felt grief for that squirrel. So it's it's just this sense of loss for many things in our world today. Mm-hmm. And how do I live with that? I guess um, allowing myself to feel it primarily and not 
uh, trying to bury it or find something else to mask it. And um, I think just having a grand appreciation for very small details in life. So as a mother, I have to say, I mean, I think as a woman, I'm, I'm pretty together. And I would say that you're a really together kind of person. We're both pretty uh, grounded, practical. I think people would describe both of us as pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes to my role as a mother, I often feel very fragile, you know, and when I think about uh, leaving the world, I sort of vacillate at times between feeling pretty darn comfortable that I've made enough of it. I've left enough of an impression on my daughter that, uh, that she'd be okay. But I also, I can't, I just can't think of anything that I fear more than either my daughter dying or me dying at a time that I feel that she's, you know, young and vulnerable. And I can't even imagine, you know, I'm estranged from my mother, but it's, it doesn't feel the same as death. I, I'm wondering if there's, if, if having your mother die at such an early age adds a layer of anxiety around mothering or around your relationship. And I, I, I'm just, you know, I know I'm totally projecting onto you here, but has that ever crossed your mind? <laughs> Always. Um, not. I don't obsess about it, but it definitely has caused um, a certain level, I'll say, of intensity in my in my mothering because I take the connection with my daughter um, probably to the extreme in some people's eyes, but I just get the importance of the connection. And, um, you know, I... I because she's at the age now when my mom was sick, I look at her and I think, gosh, if something happened to me now, if I died, she would not remember a lot of me because I don't remember a lot of my mom. I I have memories now, but they're faceless memories. And so um, I just think, wow, like (laughs) I've done so much with my daughter and she could very well not remember my face. And it's, it's kind of disturbing. Mm. (laughs) Um, and more recently, again, with the marriage separation, you know, my ex-husband has gone on and, um, you know, he's seeing someone and uh, they're going on vacation with my daughter at the end of summer for a couple of weeks. And that has been really surreal because, you know, it's almost like there's a family happening outside of myself. And I said to my ex-husband, it's like I'm dead and life is continuing on, but I'm here to witness it, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And so... Um, I'm kind of mourning my own death in a sense. This is very recent where I'm just imagining, yeah, like when, if I died, because we always project we're going to live into, you know, 20 years or 30 years or whatever it is. What if I died tomorrow? You know, this is what it would look like. Like she would be enveloped in his life with his girlfriend or, you know, a future girlfriend, what have you. And life would just carry on in a sense. Um, so that's really tough. It's really tough. And I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I keep a journal. I've written in a journal for her since she was born, uh, just reciting my observations of her and her character and my love for her. And uh, I guess that's a tribute or a gift uh, that I hope one day if I do die before her, that she'll have that in her possession and have memories based on the words in there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. How do you live then differently? Because I would imagine that if you're like, whoa, this is what life looks like if I die and everybody moves forward. So does that affect how you are in relationships, say with your husband's new partner or, you know, do you, do you modify at all <laughs> the way you are in the world because of uh, this sense? So it kind of is reminding me of Carlos Castaneda uh, you know, in the, I mean, the books about Don Juan, basically that death is always on your left shoulder, right? So the yeah. awareness of death always there, how is it affecting how you are in the world? Yeah, well, I, I don't know if I, I could say modifying because it, it, it's just me, right? It's just, you know, did I come first or did my experience come first? So I, I just put a lot of weight on my connections with people. Um, I'm not into superficial stuff. And so, you know, it's really keeping perspective with with the living. And, you know, if my daughter gets upset about something trivial, I'm sure to say, hey, you know what, in the big scheme of life, this is, is just so unimportant. And, you know, even in the separation and our co-parenting, we're both willing to look at um, really what's important. And the importance is that our daughter knows that she's loved. And I, I believe that I carry that through my relationships in general. Um, and may put a lot of pressure on them because of that. Mm. What do you remember of your mother? Uh, I just blogged about this because I used to say I have no memories of her. And uh, when I wrote the blog, all of a sudden these memories poured out of me. I have about a dozen of them. And, you know, I remember sitting on her lap, and again, these are all faceless memories. Um, I remember sitting on her lap, and um, her frame was very lean and thin. And I remember sitting on her lap in our kitchen and touching her, I don't know what this body part is called, but under our Adam's apple, we have that hole, mm -hmm. kind of where the collarbone meets. I remember playing with that, and hers was really deep, and sticking my fingers in there. I remember her gardening. Um, I remember her cleaning the house all the time. I remember her, you know, cooking um, beef stroganoff in front of our stove with our cast iron frying pan. So it's kind of these flashes of a figure. Um, you know, I remember play fighting with her and she'd do this arm slap thing. And she was a very um, well-natured, good-humored woman. Have you ever, like, dreamt about her or felt like you were in conversation with her at all? Okay, only one only one comes to mind, and that was through a guided meditation with you, Carmen, where um, we walked, you guided me through a garden, it was a rose garden, and I remember, again, it was faceless, but she was wearing this beautiful pink gown, and um, I don't even remember if we exchanged words in that meditation or not, but her presence was felt, and I can't say that I've really felt her presence um, since she's died, um, I, I believe she's with me and around me and I can talk with her, but I don't actively do that, if you will. Mm -hmm. I more do that with my dad, who passed away six years ago, because I think that's an adult memory that I can really identify with mm. and remember his character. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So how I, you said earlier, you know, shame on the adults who never talked to me about my grief at the time. Um and uh, you implied that, you know, your dad withdrew after your mother's death. Um, 
you know, was kind of doing his own thing when he was mourning and I presume totally overwhelmed with five kids. Yeah. Uh, so what was it like during his dying? Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that in my relationship with my father for a long time, I put a lot of expectation on him to be this dad that I wanted him to be. And at some point, you know, maybe in my late twenties, I realized that that would never happen. Like I, I had an unreasonable expectation of him as who he was. And then I became a friend as opposed to a daughter in a sense. Mm -hmm. And so when he was on his deathbed, um, well, I had three months because he was given a diagnosis. So I, w I made sure I called him every night to say goodnight. And I asked him every question I could think of about life and about dying and about my mom and, um, you know, just the, just whatever I could think of. And I remember being in the hospital when he was on his deathbed and he was on, you know, unconscious. And I remember saying to him, I have no more words left to say because I felt like I had asked him everything I could ask him. And I just, there was an emptiness there. And so it was just really being physically present, you know, with the rest of my family being around him um, and being witness to him dying. So I felt that there was closure with his passing, um, unlike my mother's. Did he ever say anything to you or explain what was going on for him? during your mother's death? Did it ever come up in conversation? Um, I just remember him saying one time I had, I had asked if I could meet with him to talk about my mom specifically. And um, it was really interesting because we sat at the kitchen table and I just asked if I could come and talk to him one Saturday morning and we got there and sat at the table like my family often did. And as soon as we sat down, he just said, you're here to talk about your mom, aren't you? And I said, yeah. And he just, he kind of almost read my mind and he just said, you felt alone. You felt like there was nobody there for you. And so he knew mm. what, as a child, I went through. Um, and basically me, you know, showing up to have that conversation, then he revealed those things. He didn't talk about what it was like for him, only that. Um, like he cried during that conversation. And I remember him saying um, in other occasions how you never forget them when like your first spouse when they die or whatever. Um, but not not specifically mm. the anguish. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So what do you think you've inherited from your mother? Well, her looks, for sure. <laughs> um I came across a picture of her, someone posted on Facebook, I'll say a year or so ago, and I just almost fell off my chair because I was looking at myself, and I didn't realize that I looked so much like her. Mm -hmm. And that was comforting, because not having that face in my memories and seeing my face in her was just unbelievable to me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know. I'd have to ask the people who knew her, who know me, um, what I have of hers. What if okay, so the part of you who does know <laughs> if you the part of you that has a hunch about <laughs> uh her humor mm -hmm. her kindness um, her ability to just say get on with it, just get on with it um 
and really being a peacemaker. Um, yeah, being a peacemaker. Yeah, that's that's all really good stuff. That's like pretty <laughs> substantial. That's great. Yeah, it so, is. So the last question on the Numinous podcast comes from the Proust questionnaire. So Sheila, what do you consider perfect happiness? Well, I think that term is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I used to strive for happiness and, um, I think happiness is like sadness. It's a fleeting emotion. It's not something that can be maintained day to day. And if you try to maintain happiness or perfect happiness, you're just going to wear yourself out. Um, you know, I, I have moments where there's complete joy. And one of those moments was taking my daughter recently to see Cinderella. And there's this beautiful scene where the... Um, what's it called the her fairy godmother transforms this tattered pink dress into this blue illustrious dress and you know me I'm not into fashion but I was captivated by this scene it was just magical and while we were in the theater I thought wow I wonder what my daughter is thinking of this so I looked down at her and she looked at me and we exchanged this glance that was just like we both got that moment on the screen and our eyes met and we were just like like just this beaming joy and that was a pretty happy moment Wow. I can feel it. I can feel it. That's so great. I'm yeah. really happy that you and your daughter got to share that kind of joy that that'll be one she'll never forget. I hope so. Yeah. I hope she has a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Sheila. Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing such intimate, um, tender details. It's, uh, it's been hard to listen to, but also very beautiful. Thanks, Carmen. She's a great example of deep living, isn't she? You can connect with Sheila on her website. Look her up at Mentor for Inspired Living. Thank you so much for spending this time with me today. And in particular, I want to thank all the listeners in Sri Lanka. There's not just one. There's a handful of you in different cities and towns around Sri Lanka. I, maybe you guys should have a meetup group. Maybe you already know each other. I, don't, I have no idea how you found me, but thank you. Thank you for spending time with me today. And for all of today's show notes, go to my website, carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A, and click the link for the podcast. And again, that's where you'll find a link to connect with Sheila and read her blog. And that's also where you'll find information about becoming a patron. If you like the show, you can let me know with as little as a dollar an episode. You can cancel at any time. Just throw a little something in the tip jar if you like. And finally, to ensure you never miss an episode, sign up to receive notifications at the bottom of my site. Until next time, take care. <laughs>